This is the WMSC interview of Emily Autumn by Nick Perkel. You appeared in last year's Devil's Carnival film. What part of the story drew you in so you'd be a, so you would agree to be a part of it? And how much input were you able to give up on what your character, the painted doll, was able to do? Question. Should I remain standing up? Yes, please. Absolutely. Sorry. Um, right. So I was drawn to the project mainly because I became good friends with Terrence and Darren Bowsman, who created it. And it also seemed that they were doing something similar to what I am attempting, which is to create a complete reality that, um, that people can really just come in and be a part of and not just kind of live inside, not just go to a movie and then leave. Like, the asylum for this is like all-encompassing, this is where we live. So it's kind of their same situation. And for the character input, quite a lot because I didn't know this at the time, but it turns out that I was the first person who signed on for the project mm -hmm. and the only one that they had in mind for that part. And so being the first person to sign up means that I, I knew about it for the longest. So there was about a year where we were just working together on just talking about how exciting this is going to be, what we're going to do with this what she's going to look like. Um, it wasn't a set thing, you know, what her hair color would be until pretty much like the day that we started shooting and then I went and got my traditionally like very red hair completely bleached out. And the only reason I've kept it this way is because shortly after this tour ends, we are starting to film episode two of Carnival, which is why, yeah, I didn't want to go back to red and then bleach again and I would be bald by the end of this, so not worth it. Can you speak about what happens in the second installment of The Devil's Carnival? I can tell you a bit, um, hopefully without getting in trouble, and if I do get in trouble, then apologies, but um, I can tell you that a lot of it takes place in heaven, so the whole idea is to have this complete, um, like you understand hell better because you understand what we're really fighting, and the it's, it's a very restrictive world, it's kind of the opposite of the sort of mayhem that goes on down below. And um, it's, uh, it's kind of very political and hierarchy and just things that are not so pleasant. So it's all, as everybody kind of gathers, I think, it's all about questioning who's really the bad guy here because it's often not who you think. And, um, and the devil isn't always the devil. And that, again, was a really similar thing to the sort of mission that I'm on in my own little world that I've created is that it's like the ultimate question of who's really who's really crazy here because a lot of the time it's not the ones behind the bars so same idea now, what five horror movies do you wish you could have been featured as chief makeup artist on that is brilliant and what's so sad is that I cannot even answer because I cannot watch horror movies in general because I just I can't do gore, there's like so much going on in my head anyway from like real life and things that I can't even, I just, I'm terrible. And that's why Darren has become such a best friend and he's well aware that I'll never see his Saw films. Like that's just simply not gonna happen, I can't. So, um, so yeah, I'm gonna have to get back to you on that one when I actually watch a horror movie. What about maybe a fantasy film? Oh, that's, I basically wanna do, want to work on and have been in anything that Jim Edson Henson has ever done. So, yeah, I want to like, I want to be a Skeksy 
in The Dark Crystal, which is my favorite film of all time. And, um, yeah, there's... I just wish I could have worked as costuming and all of those things. Now, thinking about Prick Goes the Scorpion's Tale, did you receive any help in the writing of that song from the makers of The Devil's Carnival, or was that all you? No, none of it was me. I didn't... That's the beauty of this project, is none of the music was mine. I played my classical violin on a lot of the songs just to provide the music and then um, and then for that song I didn't write it at all it's totally not my style of of writing which was kind of a huge concern for me at the beginning is that I never do anything almost ever that isn't completely a hundred percent mine and so it was a bit um, it was a bit of a concern to just to think like, okay, I just signed on and I just said I will do this and I have no idea what you guys are going to make me sing. Um, so that was just trust. That was just completely trust and knowing that we'd become we'd become friends. So probably if there were anything that needed, like I'm sorry, I just can't do that, that we could have talked about it. But um, that was all them. That's all Terrence and Sar Hendelman, really his writing partner, who created that just as part of the story. And I recorded it myself in my own studio. It was just about just thinking, how am I supposed to bring this thing to life and how am I supposed to make it to where she's like, clearly, you know, she's not all bad, but she's kind of a bitch. She's kind of very just, she's just scornful. She's just looking down on everybody. And in this case, for kind of a good reason. Now, what kind of images were going on in your head when you were actually performing that song? Um, Oh, like uh, like recording it or actually performing this thing. Uh, both. Like for the, that's fun because um, it got a bit crazy. So for my scene in that, I'm dancing around. Doing there, it wasn't like there's nobody's choreographing you. It was basically just like we're all here, stand on that thing, let's see what happens. And for me, that's the easiest because it's just like it's showtime. I don't think about it. It's just like this is what's happening, and you tell me it sucks. And they never said it sucks, so that's good. But what did happen is, um, is I got so impassioned on the first just run through of it, which, well, I'll tell you that um, at the last note, there's all these props and things around, um, and there's this column, like this marble column situation, and I just got really into it. So this was the first run through, and on the last note, instead of like grabbing Scorpion and pulling him up and like shoving him and things, um, I went and kicked over the column and shattered it everywhere and then realized they weren't even filming that one. So that was just disappointing and I guess they had to pay for for that. But yeah, really it was just, it was crazy and it, it was more difficult for the the other carnies on the, the, the bleachers watching me because it was like zero degrees. It was freezing because we're out in like California desert filming this thing in I mean that was probably like two in the morning and it was deathly cold and at least I was moving around not wearing much but moving around and everybody else is just dying so I think I I just I just got worked up that's what happened now in your song take the pill are you speaking about taking illegal drugs or like ones prescribed <laughs> by a doctor I've never taken an illegal drug, so I don't know. No, I'm not. I'm not talking about illegal drugs. I'm talking about um, very much prescribed drugs that you're made to take for conditions you may or may not have. 
it's all completely, I mean, it's, it's about the actual medical system of, of that. So that's the, the antagonist in the song is actually like the doctor and the, the medical community that just over-prescribes everything and, and in a psych ward situation, everybody kind of realizes this by now is that everybody's over-medicated and it's primarily for the reason of just keeping everybody calm and under control. And so we're all just heavily sedated all the time and people are walking around like zombies and you don't even know, is it because you're crazy or is it because they've just got you so completely sedated so that you're not a problem? And that latter is very often the case from my experience in this situation. Do you have anything waiting in the Raptors to be released for any album soundtracks? Um, album soundtracks, album soundtracks. Oh, for... Like movies you know? and things of that nature. Oh, um, yes, but mainly just for my own, which is, um, which is, as you know, like everything, the show and all of this that you'll see now is all about um, turning this within the next couple of years into a full-scale Broadway musical. So what the Fight Like a Girl album is, just to mention that for a second, is that's like one third of the soundtrack for, but it is part of the actual soundtrack for this thing. And then naturally, like, you make a musical, it's gotta become a film. That was always what was meant to happen um, in my mind, is like the asylum, the movie situation. So, um, so naturally, like, that soundtrack goes for that as well. So yes, soundtracks are happening for my movie. <laughs> That's what's, that's what's up. Now, you've contributed your violin skills to recordings with Courtney Love, Billy Corgan, and Otep. Have there been any other recent recordings um, that will be released in the near future? No, um, there's nothing I can think of that I really am dying to be a part of. I think everything that I've done in the past was a situation very exclusive to that moment, like either somebody that you're friends with, somebody that you're dating and having to be living with, um, or uh, like Otep, who I was honored to be asked to be a part of and has since become a good friend, and somebody that I actually like, of those three, she I actually really admire. So that was a lovely thing to be able to do. Um, but for the moment, I'm completely consumed with like doing the carnival films, some other film projects of my own that I can't talk about, but that are, and, um, and just, all of like the so much of my time now will just be completely immersed in creating this musical. Now, just out of curiosity, do you ever contact the great cat for advice, being that both of you are child violin prodigies? Um, this is what's gonna happen, and you're gonna kill me. I don't know who that is. I'm so sorry. Oh, she was like this amazing speed metal wizard. She was like so insanely fast. Is she doing this now? Like, uh, she's happening? still a musician performing, yeah, but I mean, she was like. Big in the 80s. Right. I don't know how it is that I've missed that. I feel horrible about it. Yeah. It's something I will definitely, definitely swear to look into now. So thank you for turning yeah. me on to something I clearly should have known yeah. about. Now, on your Fight Like a Girl tour, what has been the most rewarding aspect of your live shows? So much. It's completely kind of, I've learned so much on this um, from the audiences. Really, it's been definitely like the most enlightening, incredible experience in my life thus far is just this tour and everything that I've realized and how um, basically like this being even less of a rock show than anything else I've done. This is completely different and I think there's two things, if I can say, that are 
particularly kind of world changing. One of them is just really sweet, which is that seeing this audience, some who have been with us from the beginning, you know, for years now, maybe started off as your, or just the audience in general, their mindset of just starting off as you come in, you're, uh, you're into goth music or industrial or rock or metal or something or classical for people that come to see the fiddle. And, um, and then to this point to where now the audience is completely like they are a Broadway audience and it's the same people and it's new people coming in that now expect that and want that and that's just been a really lovely thing knowing in my mind that like I've known for a while this is my goal this is everything is rehearsal for this this ultimate endpoint and to see that that people are completely ready for that and that it's not like going to be a different audience these people want this right now and then the second thing is um, the actual concept of the Fight Like a Girl song, which um, which clearly is written from a female point of view about female historical issues, but that it doesn't actually need to exclude anybody. I When I wrote that, I actually thought I might have some explaining to do. It would suck if I did, because, you know, rappers who are saying horrible misogynistic things, nobody ever asks them, so are you concerned about your female audience who you might have just completely offended? Nobody ever asks a guy that, but I thought that I was going to have to deal with at least just sort of like answering for it um, and, you know, kind of like, what is your male audience going to think? And I, the thing is like some journalists have asked me about that title, about that concept, about like, what about the boys and all this? And um, the thing is that the audience and the playgrounds have never asked and have never had an issue every night because our audience is absolutely 50% male mm -hmm. and every night in the very front row there are all of these boys, men, every age, every whatever are just like slamming their fists in the air singing I fight like a girl and making t-shirts that say that and like whatever and they're proud of it and it means that they're onto something that I think I'm not even it's like I thought there might be a problem with this and they're like there is no problem with this so that's given me a great deal of, of hope, faith, happiness, and just immense love and an incredible gratitude for these people. But just in general, thinking like, I think that that men are, um, at least the, the ones that we want around us, are really understanding that we are so all on the same side. And by us being stronger doesn't mean anybody else has to get torn down. So that's pretty much changed my world just to be shown this by these people who are just coming to see a show and they're into it. Now, what is the most difficult element of your show to get through on this tour? There's nothing that's, well, okay, the, the, the most difficult thing is not giving myself whiplash literally on Take the Pill because I'm in this wheelchair situation and then I run out of it and then the girls are holding me and I'm trying to stage dive and they're preventing me and it's just, it's all about me just basically having this um, not drug-induced, just angry freak out and I actually, you know, in on stage you feel, it, it's, it's good that I'm wearing clothes right now because I'm covered in bruises, it's just you feel no pain on stage because of adrenaline and that's lovely but at the time you just start flailing around and I've actually hurt my neck a bit in a bit of a severe way from just like 
headbanging to that song too much and just slamming my body around all this fucking golden wheelchair. So that's the most difficult song. Everything else is just like an absolute joy to be able to perform. Do you ever take parts of your dreams and incorporate them into your stage show or your compositions? Yes, absolutely. Um, occasionally there will be like a, a part of a song or a line or an idea, but, but usually like a strain of music that I completely end up using as, as something. But even worse are the, the nights where I'm sure we all have like, there have been nights where I, I wake up and I know that I just dreamt about the most beautiful piece of music that was ever written and I heard it and then of course you wake up and you're like I'll, I'll never be able to I have no idea what that was but I know the feeling of beholding like absolute perfection and now I can't so part of my thing and this is actually true but I, I've never talked about it is to I, that is a particular dream I had when I was maybe 12 years old and a lot of what I've done from then until now is to try to get to that feeling of perfection and something that I do that is that thing that I felt when I woke up that day because I saw it. It was like seeing God or whatever and I just want to feel that again and I want it to be mine. Finishing things off, a goal of yours is to appear in Japan. What type of things need to be set in stone before you can get over there? It's complicated and I, I think it has to do largely with um, with having really serious proper distribution of Fight Like a Girl there um, because that album and everything thus forward in my career will, is and will be released on my own label, Asylum Emporium, um, then I don't have the, the backing of a system that's already in place. So there's nothing preventing that from happening, but it takes time and that's the only reason why I haven't been able to be invited to Japan and actually perform this thing that is just like, this is meant to be there. This is so ready. Um, and this is, I know that this is a place that we should be. This is a place that I'm completely passionate about. Um, and the, the landscape and the culture and the tea and everything that is already so much a part of my world that everybody knows about it. It's like, this is the obvious choice is um, Japan and China. But I think that it's it's to do with being properly distributed so that everything, it's like it's not enough there to be able to be like, well, 10 million people downloaded this on iTunes. It has to actually physically be there. So that's something that we're working on right now. And um, so yes, let's just all manifest distribution in Japan and then, then we're moving there. That's what's happening. Thanks a lot. This has been the WMSC interview of Emily Autumn by Nick Burkell.